Amen. How many of you can really say, God has been faithful to me? Amen. Yeah. God is, God is so faithful, church, and, and sometimes we need to slow down. Slow down long enough to realize how faithful He is. He has been, He is, and will always be faithful. Amen. And His faithfulness doesn't depend on how we respond all the time because we don't get it right. But He remains faithful even when we stumble. Amen. Amen. At the beginning of this week, I was actually going in a total different direction with my message. But I think it was Wednesday night or Thursday that uh, uh, one of my friends who's a pastor also just sent me sent me an article, like a forward of something that was going on. And uh, the article basically talked about everything that was going on in the world today and especially our country today. And, and, and of course, as you follow along, everybody comments on things. And all the comments were on both sides of the issue. You know? And these were all Christians, by the way. And then it hit me all of a sudden. And, and as I was sitting there, I was just thinking and reading through all those comments. I was thinking if... If we are, if Christians were as passionate about their relationship with God as they are on social media when they express their opinions, the church would be in a very different state right now. Because what I find a lot of right now is that Christians have very strong opinions when it comes to what's happening in the world right now. And they are passionate about it on both sides of the debate, okay? It doesn't matter. But it made me stop and think how many of them are dispassionate about their relationship with Christ. And if I were to be honest enough, I would guess, again, I'm not being judgmental or, but just looking at that, I just said most of them probably don't have a real relationship with God. I know it sounds harsh, but yes, they accepted Christ into their hearts, but do they really have a desire to spend time with Him and study His Word? And I find some of those comments and some of the people I know and I realize they have no real commitment to Christ. Sorry, it sounds harsh, but there's no commitment to the church. There's no commitment. You know, they find a hundred excuses not on why not to pay their tithes. I ain't going to argue with you. If you have an excuse, keep it. There's no way I'm going to change your mind. Zero desire to serve and minister to one another in humility. We'd rather be served and talk about what the church can do for us rather than ask what can we do to serve those whom God has brought into our lives. We've got, again, just talking, so comfortable sitting on a couch and commenting on Facebook, screaming bloody murder about how unfair life is and how the world is going to hell, if I can use that phrase. But I'm not that passionate and moved when it comes to our relationship with Christ. Yeah. Again, friends, it's just, I know it sounds harsh, but here's the truth. When it comes to Christ, it's either all in or nothing at all. That's right. You cannot ride the fence. You cannot have some of this and some of the world. You cannot do that. Again, don't get me wrong or, and misunderstand me here. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying we as Christians should not stand up against evil or wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But more important than taking a stand for the truth is us living the truth in our everyday lives in a relationship with Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me encourage you this morning, church, to, to follow Christ with an undivided heart. Amen. Now, I've said this several times and you all know this already. Life happens and it's very easy to get distracted and, and take our attention of Christ. And, and we're, we're not backsliding. I'm not talking about backsliding. But we're not following Him wholeheartedly like He asks us to. Yes. Amen. 
And please understand, not everything that gets our attention or distracts us is bad necessarily. It may be good things, but we are not following Christ the way we ought to. And so my question that I have today is, am I following Christ or am I following God with an undivided heart? Or if I can say it another way, am I following God half-heartedly? Now let me say this, I've been guilty of this, but I see this in, in my own kids and at the kids at school for sure. If I were to ask you, have you ever seen a kid do something half-heartedly? Yes, we all have, right? And it frustrates me, come on. You tell them to do something and you know they don't want to do it, but they still drag their feet and do it and they're doing it so half-heartedly. Right? We all know about people doing something half-heartedly. And I wonder how many of us in our pursuit of God are doing it the same way. Doing it half-heartedly. I'll be running after God with a divided heart. We're going to look at a few scriptures and, uh, today. And the one that jumped out, to, uh, jumped out to me or at me was... The story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus in, in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 verses 17, verses 17 through 22. Church, this is a real burden in my heart and I challenge you to ask yourself, what are the excuses I'm... I'm I, what are the excuses that I make to not follow God wholeheartedly? I'm challenging myself too. Please don't think I'm just preaching to you all. Mark chapter 10 verse 17, it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man came up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud or honor your father and mother. Verse 20, he kind of implies that he just cut him off. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Yeah. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, I've heard preachers and teachers and preachers say, you know, Jesus is against wealth or something of that sort. And that's not true at all. But Jesus is not, not upset. If you read the rest of this story, he's not upset about with this young man because this guy has a lot of money. No, he was looking at his heart and the problem was that this man had a divided heart. What this young man had was he was looking in two different directions but what Jesus wanted was wholehearted devotion. He says it, Jesus says in Luke 16, what, you cannot serve two masters. No one who puts another verse in the chapter 9, no one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is what? Fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Several times Jesus says, if you're in, you have to be all in. You can't have some of this and some of the world. Again, here's the thing. When it comes to following Christ's church, it has to be all in. Amen. All in. And please understand, I'm not talking about being perfect, because none of us will be perfect. It's talking about us, our hearts, pursuing God wholeheartedly. Am I pursuing God with an undivided heart? And this morning, I want to look at a person in the Bible, and I know I've talked about this before, and I just recently, again, was just talking to someone about it. Someone just brought this up, actually, with me. I think it was Carl... I don't see, oh, he's back there, talking about Lot's wife. And as I read that story, the, uh, and I was reading those comments, this message just came back to me in my heart. 
a wholehearted pursuit of God. That's what he's looking for. That's the greatest witness, church. That's the greatest witness. It's not so much what we say. It's how we follow God. And as we follow God, people are drawn to him. Again, it doesn't say, I'm not saying don't stand up for your rights and everything else. I'm not saying that at all. But please understand, at the heart of it all is a relationship with God. Talking about Lot's wife and the story is found in Genesis 19. Genesis 19, if you can turn there, the first verse, Genesis 19, it says the two, there were two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. And Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city, or sitting at the gates. And when he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And so you kind of realize right away that Lot recognizes these people as something different. Because you don't bow down with your face to the ground just for anybody, right? Let's go down to verse 12. It says, the two men said to Lot, do you have anyone else, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belong to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. Verse 14, so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought, he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angel urged Lot, urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away with this when the city is punished. When he hesitated. That word is a key there. When he hesitated, the men grasped him, his, uh, grasped his hand, and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and let them and led them safely out of the city for the lord was merciful to them as soon as they had brought them out one of them said flee for your lives don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain flee to the mountains or you will be swept away verse 18 but lot lot said to them but lot said to them no my lords please your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life but I cannot flee to the mountains this disaster will overtake me and I will die verse 20 look here is a town near enough to run to and it is small let me flee to it it is very small isn't it then my life will be spared he said to him very well I will grant this request too I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town is called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Verse 25. Thus he overthrew the cities and the entire plain, including all those who lived in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. And then this verse, verse 26. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Sounds so harsh. So harsh. Look at the number of times it says, but... When the call is simple obedience, how often do we have a but? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But God, what about this situation? What about if I can't make it, you know? But what about this, this thing that I have to pay or this thing that I have to do? But God, yeah. when the call is simple obedience, yeah. Amen. if you read, just go a little back into the background of this. We know chapter 11 and 12. We find that God, we know the story. And this is a familiar story. God calls Abraham. And of course, God tells him to leave the land he is in, which is what we call the Ur of the Chaldeans. And he tells him to go to this other land, Canaan, basically. And then we read in chapter 12, verse 4, that Lot tags along, basically, with his, with his uncle uh, Abraham. 
And we're not sure if Lot had a wife at this point, but if he did, we can assume he did, she left with him too. And then in chapter 13, you see that uh, God blesses both Lot and Abraham, but then there's conflict between the tribesmen and the herdsmen as such. And then, of course, they eventually split because Abraham doesn't want them to fight within the family. And he says, hey, do whatever, you, you know, choose the land. And, of course, Lot chooses uh, the, the valley or the Jordan Valley, if you want to uh, call it that, because, and, of course, that's the fertile ground. And Abraham goes up, you know, to the hills of Canaan. Lot picked the good spot. And if you come to verse uh, Genesis 12, verse 12, Let's read that real quick. Sorry, I lost my page. Genesis 12, verse 12. You see what? I love the thin Bibles, except for the thin pages when you want to turn one page. Come on, people. <laughs> there you go. 12, verse 12. And when you got to have big letter version, too. Dang it. Sorry, 13 verse 12. I'm sorry. 13 verse 12. Thank you, Barbara. So it says, Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. He pitched his tents outside, okay, the city of Sodom. That's chapter 13. But somehow from chapter 13 to chapter 19, we know what happens in chapter 19. The angels appear to, uh, they come to Lot when he is in the city. So he's moved from outside to in the city. Anyway, before, just before this chapter, the angels appear to Abraham. These three men appear to Abraham, correct? And then the main reason they appear to Abraham, one is to promise uh, Sarah. Sarah's going to have a baby, right? That's one of the promises they have. And the second thing is they tell Abraham about... You know, what's happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, basically? And then we know Abraham's prayer, and he says, hey, what if there are only 10 people there? You know, and we know Abraham talks to them about it. And then, of course, let's look at the city of Sodom itself, and people tell you that Sodom was a busy, cosmopolitan place, if you want to call it that. The city was filled with energy, lots of excitement. It was a happening place, and as one commentator said, it's a place which came alive when the sun went down. Sodom was known for its diversity. There were people with different backgrounds and different cultures, and they prided themselves because they loved their diverse lifestyle. They loved their diverse lifestyle because everybody was accepted there. There were no rules, and you know, when it came to lifestyle, as long as you weren't bothering someone else, you can do whatever you want to do. That's the way they liked it. You know, as long as you are not infringing on someone else, you can do whatever you want to. But God was getting ready to hold them accountable for their actions pretty soon. And so that's what's happening. That's the background. And then you come to chapter 19 and you kind of see the story, you know. And it's kind of an unusual story because it's a story about a woman who, who, who basically flees from a city that's being destroyed, but she looks back and she, she dies basically. It's strange that we don't even know her name. We know a few things about her. One, we realize that she comes from a very influential family. Her husband was rich. We know this because we know God prospered a lot. She was married into and became a member of Abraham's family. And Abraham is also pretty well known. And so she's like niece through marriage, I guess. Abraham was well known in Sodom too because if you read Genesis 14, Abraham saves the city of Sodom. Look at that and read the chapter. He saved the city of Sodom and the king of Sodom actually tells Abraham, you know what, uh, let me give you something. And Abraham makes the statement, no, I don't want anything to do with you because then you'll say, God didn't bless me, you blessed me. So it's an interesting portion here. So Abraham was well known too. So this person definitely, Lot's wife, had influence in that city. She was part of an influential family. And the second thing you can tell about her is that she definitely shared the faith of Abraham. May not be to that extent, but she definitely, there's no doubt in my mind that she shared that faith. Because Abraham, 
I can almost guarantee Abraham talked about the way God called him. She's seen and experienced firsthand the blessings and favor of God upon her family, that lot, but also upon the family of Abraham right there. And so there is without a doubt that I, I know that she knew who God really was. She knew who God really was. She knew the call God had placed on Abraham and his family. Yet you see that something happened. And I love this. I know I got this from someone else. Instead of just living in Sodom, somehow she had gotten to a point spiritually where Sodom lived inside of her. You know what the scripture says? The scripture says Sodom was a wicked city. Yet somehow Lot and his wife had somehow fallen in love with Sodom. I don't know. The allure of the city drew him in, I guess. We know he didn't live there initially. We just read in 13 verse 12, he lived outside in the valley, kind of overlooking the city. But eventually, I don't know, the lights of the city, the sounds of the city, the crowds of the city, something got his attention and they just sucked a lot and his family inside. By Genesis 19, Lot has moved from his tent probably to one of the main streets in, in the city. And, you know, that's where he raised his family because his daughters were marrying people from the city. And we can tell he became a man of influence in the city because he was sitting at the city gates. Not everybody gets to sit at the city gates. So he's given that, that position of influence within the city. Just a word of warning. Huh? We have got to be careful who we hang out with. Amen. Because think about it. How many righteous people were really living in Sodom? Yeah. Probably less than 10. Because God said he'd spare them, right? If they were more than 10. Anyway, just, just a side note. But think about it. Lot's wife and him himself, Lot's friends, acquaintances. Can you think, were they a good influence on her and her family? I don't know. But the Bible tells us that Lot and his family had to be dragged out of the city by the arm. Why? I don't know, perhaps 20 years of hanging out with worldly people had probably weakened their faith. Maybe she just didn't believe that God was going to judge the people so harshly. Maybe she didn't, you know, I don't know, just the influence that she had. Here's the good, I mean, he uses the phrase, merciful. Lots of you have been merciful to me. In spite of they're hesitating, focusing on Lot's wife. In spite of that, God didn't give up on her. In spite of them making the choice to go live in a land that was not what God wanted them to do, God did not give up on Lot and his family. Again, I don't doubt that Abraham, and we're told Abraham was praying for Lot and praying for his family too. God still knew, in spite of all that, God still knew where to find Lot and his family, where to find Lot's wife too. And we can say for sure that, you know, she didn't have an excuse. She was warned about what was going to happen. Again, in spite of having, being, having experienced the favor of God, have no, having a knowledge of God, having been warned, she still failed. I know that sounds harsh because some of us are so caught up with, you know, the grace of God is, you know, and everything else, but church, we may have the greatest family background, you know, we may have influence and have the wealth and have everything else, and we may even read the scripture every day, but please, there's a lesson to be learned here. The reason she failed, I feel, is because she would not follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And let me tell you, it's not a switch that just this just doesn't suddenly happen. It's a gradual process where you start falling away. And we need to be careful. She did not fail because of her unbelief. It doesn't say, well, the, I mean, the, the sons-in-law laughed at, at, at Lot. She didn't laugh at them. She probably believed their message to an extent. Yes, there's going to be destruction. She did believe them. 
She even responded, even though it wasn't enthusiastic, she still responded and was willing. She could have sat there, but she was willing to leave the city. So she did respond too. But it says there very clearly, they hesitated, they lingered, another translation says. Think about it, life, life was waiting for her on the other side. Death was literally at her heels right now. Yet she hesitated. They hesitated. She determined, she was determined to cling on to Sodom just as long as she as long as she could. In fact, it took, like I said, the angels grabbing her and Lot by the arm and then literally dragging them out of the city before they were destroyed with the city too. In other words, you can tell that the angels were rushing them. Hey, let's go, let's go, let's go, get out of here. But they hesitated. She hesitated too. It's just, I don't know. The place had just become so familiar, probably. I was thinking about it. Some of us have lingered until the world's grip on us is so strong that even when we want to leave, we linger longer than we need to. Verse 16 and 17 tells us that they left reluctantly and, you know, she finally starts this journey and she begins to walk out, but we know what happens as she leaves. She turns back. She looked back to be precise. And we know what happens. And again, it sounds so harsh. But I don't think it was just the physical act of looking back that was the problem. It was a heart. Her heart was not wholly devoted to God. She had an undivided heart. Another translation, another person said, an unsurrendered will. That's, that's, think about that. The reason Lot's wife looked back was because she was still, if you want to say this, influenced by Sodom. Even though she was walking away, she was still influenced by them. The truth is this, and the message and the warning for us is this. The message is clear. A divided heart will finally, eventually cause us to slip and fall. You may love God, but if you still hold on to the world, you will slip up. Again, I'm not talking about being perfect. But unless you are surrendered totally to God, a divided heart will be your downfall. Discipleship is about having an undivided heart. Life was calling to them on the hills, but Sodom was basically screaming to her too at the same time. She was torn between these two, and she Looked back. This morning I want to talk about and look at a little more about what a divided heart really does. A divided heart, a divided heart robbed her of her joy. It robbed her of her joy. The warning was clearly given. This is what's going to happen. You would think that she would run away as fast as she could. I mean, she'd probably run outrun the angels too if she was really got it, right? But her heart was divided because Sodom didn't look really bad. And I think as I was reading this passage, it made me think of the Israelites leaving Egypt. They go on, but they can't give up. A lot of them couldn't give up on how easy their life was in Egypt, right? Why can't you get away? Why, instead of focusing on, on what was back there, why can't we focus on the life that God has promised in front of us? Amen. It robbed her of her joy. It robbed her of the joy. You know, and here's the truth. Once we become com- comfortable in a certain way, we live our lives. We get so comfortable that even though we know we've got to go another way, we struggle to give up what we're so comfortable with. Nothing in the scripture tells me that following Christ is about getting into that comfortable way of lifestyle at all. You know, the the point is this. When we get comfortable in the way we live our lives and God calls us to do something else and we don't do it, we're just telling God we have a better idea of how to live our lives. 
we're fooled into thinking that, you know, the way we act and the way we've done this for all this time, you know, we know what's best for us. But let me tell you this, when you do not obey God or follow God with a wholehearted devotion, you will lose your joy. You will lose your joy. And I know many of us are quick to blame Lot's wife, you know, why couldn't she go, this death and all, but how many of us do this in our own way? How many of us are, are, are unable or unwilling to give up the way we have lived our life in order to pursue life to its fullest? Yeah. I don't know. Imagine yourself in her shoes. Would you be that excited after how many years you've invested in this place, invested in the people and everything else, and God tells you all of a sudden, hey, give it all up, let's go. How many of us would do that? I don't know. It would be challenging. Would you be eager to leave? Would you embrace the idea that God is calling you somewhere else enthusiastically? Leave in that situation. Leave that situation. Leave that job. Leave that relationship. Leave that habit. Whatever it is. Because God knows what's best for you. But can we follow God wholeheartedly and enthusiastically? Again, we know that they are comfortable. They're content where they are. And that was the struggle. But that comfort and that contentment robbed them of their joy. Rob them of the joy. A divided heart makes you lose your joy. The second thing, a divided heart slowed her progress. If you keep looking back, you cannot make your life, or you cannot make way forward or progress forward. You've said this, you know the saying, you can't drive a car by looking in the rearview mirror the whole time. Yet somehow we think we can do that. A divided heart slowed her progress down. Verse 26, and I know the NIV uh, says it. Uh, I think I like the KJV right in this, in this part here in verse 26. It says, but Lot's wife looked back from behind him. From behind him. The word behind kind of indicates that she had fallen back. Think with me, Lot, his daughters, and the angels are going ahead. But she had fallen back. Why do you think she fell behind? I don't know. I think it's more than just a physical thing. Again, it was her divided heart. It was a divided heart. Things in this world, church, if you hold on to this, will slow you down in your pursuit of God. Things of this world will slow you down. And once you slow down, let me tell you, you're easy pickings because you're all alone. You can't hold on to the past and expect to make progress to where God wants you to be. Church, and let me tell you this, the biggest problem in the church is not that we're doing something crazy, the biggest problem is complacency. We're so used to doing church. We're so used to doing and living this Christian spiritual life that we're not really making progress and we don't realize that we are lagging behind where God wants us to be. It doesn't take long, church, for an undivided heart or a divided heart to fall behind where God wants us to be. A divided heart, like it or not, cripples, hinders, weakens our walk with the Lord. Yeah. And you know what the worst part is? We make excuses for it too. Yeah. That's just the hard part because God is gracious. You know, if I don't do this, it's okay. That's the hardest thing for me. It affects when you fall behind. A divided heart affects relationships, affects our prayer life, affects the time we spend with the Word, spend among the people in fellowship. It affects every area of our life. And before we realize it, we have fallen behind. Robs us of our joy, slows our progress, and finally, ultimately, it costs her her life. Again, it sounds so harsh that a God of love, and this is, so many people have talked to me about this, a God of love, why would he condemn someone like this? It's not for me to judge, church, but there is a line that one last time might be the last time. Yeah. 
that one last look behind, how does that hurt? One last look, you know? That might be the last look. Lot's wife wanted just one last look, but let's be honest that one last look is never enough for most of us. Because that one last look pushes us for one more look. Amen. You see, the struggle is real, church. It's not just, it's real. Every step, when you hold on to the past, let me tell you this. When you hold on to where you have come from, you hold on to the Lord and don't focus on the, on, I mean, hold on to the world and don't focus on the Lord. Every step you take gets harder and harder and harder. I love this, uh, this show. Uh, I was on the first documented climb up Mount Everest. And I don't know if I've shared this before, but... You know, these people pay thousands of dollars to climb Mount Everest. But then they get to what they call the death zone, which is right close to the peak. And these people, they say it takes five to ten minutes for one step because of the lack of oxygen. And these people are sucking in oxygen and everything else. But every step is so hard and people give up with a hundred feet to go because they run out of oxygen. Now, if we assume that this is life to our bones... And if we don't replenish our lives with this, every step we take to where God wants us to be is going to get harder and harder and harder because we are running out Amen. of the life that He promises each one of us. Amen. When you hold on to the world, there's less of Christ in you. And soon enough, the world is going to take hold of your life. I don't know how, it's, this, is, this is something I learned from another pastor. He says when we are supposed to influence the world, but when we lose our influence, the world is winning. Yeah. The world is winning, church. When we don't influence the world, the world is winning. We've got to learn to worship Him with a un, or follow Him with an undivided heart. Amen. We've got to learn to follow Him and not Turn back. Not turn back. I mean, think about it. God, I know it's talking about go to the hills and it's totally metaphorical right now. God wants us to grow. And I'm using the, uh, the imagery of a mountain. God wants us to scale new heights in him. But if you are holding on to the, to the past, holding on to the world, you will never get to where God wants you to be. Amen. And soon enough, you will give up and turn back. That's just human tendency. Don't ever say it's not going to happen. This is the warning that we have here. One last time, her divided heart turns around, and that's it. She turns into a pillar of salt because she looked back. There was no second chance. There was no revival that she could go to. I don't know, church. She perished even though she was warned. Of the danger. She knew exactly what God was going to do. And she knew God well enough. That he was going to follow up with what he was going to say. Uh, what he said he was going to do. Yeah. She, fought, she perished even though she made an effort to be saved. She perished even though. She was walking and pointing in the right direction. But she looked back. I don't know how to say this, church, but the need of the hour is a wholehearted commitment to Christ. Yeah. A wholehearted devotion to Christ. We need to follow Him with an undivided heart. The call is obedience to Him. We cannot hold on to the world and still expect our life to be where God wants us to be. We cannot hold on to the world and expect God to keep blessing us and blessing us and blessing us because, you know, He's a gracious God. He's got to make the decision. It's all you, God, and that's it. Our yesterdays are gone, but too many Christians today are worried about what's behind us that we lose focus of what's ahead of us. Church, hold on to the promise. The promise is life and life in abundance. Amen. Let's not look back like Lot's wife. Let's not get complacent and comfortable in a place 
where God doesn't want us to be. Let's not hold on to the world in such a way that the world actually doesn't let us go. Got to follow him. Follow him wholeheartedly. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus uses the phrase, you know, remember Lot's wife. And the very next word he says, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. Give your life totally to Christ. But let's follow him wholeheartedly. Follow him wholeheartedly. Church, it's what's important and what needs to be our focus is where we are going, not where we have come from. Amen. What's really important is where we are going and not where we came from. Yes, yes. I mean, we don't forget, please don't, we've, we are grateful for what God has done in the past. Amen. But we've got to fix our eyes on what God or where God wants us to be. a wholehearted devotion to Him, an undivided heart, a totally surrendered will. Church, if we have Christ, let me say this. Accepting Christ as your Savior is just the first step. And I hope and trust that all of us have done that. But the truth is, we have to pursue Him wholeheartedly too. You can't have one foot here and one foot in the world. Because soon enough, Soon enough, it will catch up with you. It robs you of your joy. You will never be a happy person if you're trying to serve two masters. It'll rob you of your joy. It will it really, I mean, relationships and everything else. It's just your peace. It's just, I mean, you lose it. An undivided, divided heart. what to say church it's just challenging to me what the world needs to see is a is a person whose heart is sincerely pursuing after God how is your relationship with God it's an authentic question I ask I mean the real question I ask right at the beginning are you following him pursuing Him wholeheartedly? Or are the things of the world still influencing you? The promise is life. Life out there. Let's not get caught up with what's down here right now. Let's all stand to our feet and worship God for a minute. This is my
your heads with me at this time, church. I'll be honest with you, church. This is so, like I said, my heart was so challenged this past week. And I struggled as I was preparing the sermon. I struggled to I struggled to pour, put into words what I was, what I felt the Holy Spirit was prompting me. But I, I trust the Holy Spirit will, will take what I have said today. That's, that's my prayer every single Sunday. It's not my words ultimately. It's that God will take the words that I say and impress them on your heart. Understand the call. The call is a wholehearted devotion and pursuit of God. What God is looking for is an undivided heart. But we notice so many buts in Lot's life and that story. We know what God's call is on our lives, but we have those but God. What about this? What about that? And I want to challenge you today, church, to look at your life and examine your life. What is keeping you? Are you following the Lord with wholehearted or an undivided heart? That's the call and the need of our church. that people and the world will see what it means to be wholly devoted to Christ. Now, I can't stand here and and pretend to know how your heart and your relationship with God is. Yes, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, but are you pursuing Him wholeheartedly? I challenge you to do that this morning. that's what it's about church you may rationalize that everything 
you know, life is busy, but you make time for things you love and people you love. Challenge you to follow Christ. Curse you after Him with an undivided heart this morning. If you're holding on and this is the last thing I need to say. There's life and life in abundance promised to you. But you've got to give up on the world in order to enjoy that life. I know the life in abundance seem, seems so, you know, unsure right now. But you've got to take that step of faith and trust God that He knows what He's doing in your life. You've got to take that step of faith and trust God and say, God, it's all you, God. I'm not going to hold on to things, God, that this world has promised. But I'm going to just trust in you totally. Let me encourage you this morning, church, to worship Him once again. Pursue Him once again. Run after Him, desire Him with all your heart all your mind, with all your strength, with everything within you. God, we thank you once again, Lord, that you are gracious. You are merciful. What you're looking for, God, is our hearts, Lord. God, and I pray, God, that you will give us the strength, God, to keep our eyes fixed on you and you alone. We give you praise, we give you glory, God. Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. God bless you, church. God bless you all.